At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. As you can see by the intro and all of this, this is another special show. In this one, I thought I would promote the Finding Hermes program and give to you my presentation on who is Abraxas. I think you'll enjoy it, whether you're listening on audio or watching on video, whether it's YouTube, Rockfin, or Odyssey, or any of those places. So it's a deep dive into this either chief archon or god above god or demon or whatever entity has uh, really um, obsessed or the Gnostics obsessed over and many occultists have throughout history. Uh, I get into the history uh, the symbolism, the magical uses of Abraxas, uh, the views of the Gnostics on this figure, and the impact of Abraxas on modern culture, including Carl Jung and his ideas on Abraxas. Uh, at the end, I do give a sort of big reveal on who I think Abraxas is. I don't think anybody else has really covered this and it might be very controversial but check it out and let me know what you think everyone will get the abraxas presentation but for subscribers at ab prime or mid-level patrons at patreon i also will include a few bonuses i will include the Q&A that we had, not all of it, uh, since we do get kind of personal, or we did get kind of personal towards the end. Although if you are a Finding Hermes member, you can just go to the behind the paywall and check it out. But I will give you part of the Q&A, which uh, really adds to the whole presentation. Great questions from the members. And I'll also have a few bonuses on researchers who and past astral guests who have come on the show and given me their views on Abraxas. These include Steve D., David Curtis, and Douglas Stewart. Great takes on Abraxas. And again, just like the Q&A, really adds new dimensions and further on this very, well, still very mysterious entity called, yes, I'm going to say it again, Abraxas. Now I'm going to do a little bit of selling. I feel a little like a used car salesman. In fact, uh, it's reminding me of the movie Used Cars a movie that came out in the 80s. It was uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis. And unlike his films um, Back to the Future and Forrest Gump, Used Cars is not wholesome. It's not 80s family wholesome. It's uh, very raunchy. It's very cynical. It's very visceral. But it does have Kurt Russell, so you know it has to be good. Let's make used cars the movie great again. Maybe I'll do a uh, Gnostic themes in used cars after I do my special Gnostic themes on the movie Roadhouse. But anyway, I don't usually do uh, holiday promotions. I've never done them before. But uh, as you've seen in the last three months or so, I am trying a lot of different things for you, different ways to bring you content and that gnosis. And uh, I don't, I feel there's nothing wrong with throwing things on the wall and see what sticks. As they say in marketing, there are no good or bad ideas, just ideas that either have been tested or ideas that have not been tested. So 
without further ado, I have a special promotion up until Christmas. Yes, that's a marketing scarcity or scarcity that they talk about. And up until the holidays for any new AB AB Prime subscribers or mid-level patrons at Patreon, I am going to include for free a PDF copy of 10 Snackable Meditations. Subscribe and you will, well, and I will send it to you. Don't forget that you get also a lot of other very cool bonuses like uh, full shows. Uh, You get invited to my Discord channel. You'll get invited to my Inner Sanctum of Facebook group and other bonuses that I put throughout the year. So, you will get a free copy of 10 Snackable Meditations. And just to remind you, if you hadn't seen yet, 10 Snackable Meditations is now found in the usual suspects uh, areas or arenas. You can get 10 Snackable Meditations on Kindle. You can get it on Audible or Apple if you're looking for an audio version or the audiobook. And you can get a print version as well. So thought I'd let you know about that. And as a further promotion, for those of you who still might want to get it, just the PDF, that's all you want, at my website, thegodabovegod.com, I'm going to put it on sale. Instead of $8.99, I'll give it to you for only $3.99 during the holidays. The next promotion is going back to the Finding Hermes program. The Finding Hermes program does include all the bonuses or features or elements of if you're a subscriber at AB Prime or Patreon, but you get a couple of further bonuses. Uh, once a month, I do a full Q&A where I take your questions directly and we have some great conversations on the topic of Gnosticism or any of the uh, podcasts or videos I've put out that month. The other thing I provide too, which included the uh, Who is Abraxas presentation, is I do a presentation on Gnostic rituals, practices, and history. I've done a ton of them, and some of them have, have included uh, Gnostic sex rites, why these are Gnostic times, Gnostic ascension rituals, non-dualism, Mary Magdalene, and a whole bunch of others. In fact, at the end of the month, I plan on doing a presentation on the uh, Sethian rituals and history, right, in Finding Hermes. It usually is $20 a month to join with all the bonuses you get, but until Christmas, I'm going to do it uh, 40% off. So you can join the Finding Hermes program now for only $12.99. Pretty cool. Furthermore, there is a even higher tier in the Finding Hermes program and everything you get. Yes, <laughs> the pyramid grows or something, but you get everything else. Plus there is a, a one-on-one interview or meeting with me. And in these an hour, uh, this is an hour session and we talk about what you want to talk about just with me. Some clients just want to talk about the history of Gnosticism, learn about Gnosticism. Others want to talk about addiction issues and I work with them to help them or others want to talk about, uh, uh, alternative spiritual practices, Jungian techniques to help them out. And that's the highest tier, and so far, the those who have subscribed have really benefited from. I usually charge $100 a month for this, but now, through the holidays, I will charge, I'll give it to you for 50%, so it will only be $49.99 to join the highest tier of the Finding Hermes program. So that's it. I won't go any longer with my drivel. I hope you enjoy the Who is Abraxas? And I hope we can, I hope, I hope, I'm sure you're going to find out or uh, your, your understanding of Abraxas and the Gnostic philosophy and theology will be much deeper after this presentation. And yes, we will find out so much about this chief archon, this, or perhaps this God above God, or this amazing archetype, or maybe we'll find out that Abraxas is Kurt Russell. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. But regardless, 
Please enjoy and don't forget to keep writing your own gospel and living your own myth. Thank you. Looks like Abraxas put on a little weight. <laughs> that time of the year, huh? Yeah, the weather's getting colder. Um, so who is this dude? Who is Abraxas? As I mentioned, a being that is I'm very familiar with and is definitely very much ingrained in Gnosticism and other forms of occultism. And uh, as I keep mentioning, there is a big reveal and insight I had about Abraxas recently. I told, I blurted it out to Anon Omos, uh, and I wish I hadn't, and I really did try to have him killed, but with inflation, hiring a hitman is just very expensive, so I couldn't do it. Uh, I went to Chicago, and all the all the mafia guys, their shells are empty of hitmen, so Anon had to survive, so he knows the secret, but tonight you will all know the secret. Um, and I, and of course the, uh, the reveal is pretty solid, but again, Gnosticism is, is about speculation. As I often say on AM Byte, if you want certain answers to things, then you are going to lead a certain life. And I know you guys came here because you were tired of a certain life. You wanted more a life of mystery, of experience, of open liminal spaces. So that's uh, one of the things. Uh, one of the things I like about Gnosticism and certainly Abraxas is uh, the changing. So before we get started on this presentation on the history, theology, and impact of Abraxas, uh, as I mentioned, Abraxas is very much a part of my story. On the left, we have a um, fan drawn abraxas that he that the individual sent me on the right yeah that's me and of course behind it is a minotaur but as i will explain tonight uh the minotaur or baphomet is actually pretty connected to abraxas and my story i have said this before in podcasts on ab live but it was during my discovery of gnosticism studying the nag hammadi library reading philip k dick uh I, of course, encountered Abraxas in many books, and I eventually uh, read Carl Jung's Seven Sermons to the Dead, and it was such a haunting political uh, work that it really affected me, And uh, but I still did, really didn't know who Abraxas was. It was just fascinating, and I remember being at a Gnostic meeting at a Freemason Hall in Chicago in the basement, and meeting two uh, individuals who were Gnostics and knew a lot about Gnosticism and both telling me that they thought that the seven sermons to the dead portrayed Abraxas in a very negative way, but they couldn't put their finger on it. Um, and I, uh, I disagreed. But anyway, that summer, as I mentioned, was my great summer of Gnosis. I had uh, several UFO encounters, a lot of uh, supernatural events. And eventually I did a lot of ayahuasca with the Santo Daime Church. And one night uh, in a very long eight hour ceremony, I went out of my body, flew out and saw this sort of uh, void or this round darkness, beyond darkness. It reminded me of uh, Azathoth from H.P. Lovecraft. And I was getting close to this being that seemed to be everything and nothing, but had this void quality, this uh, dark eternity. And I remember simply calling out and saying, you are Abraxas. And luckily, as I have also said, my aunt, who was uh, the next door house, she woke up and she had a broken leg and in a wheelchair, she came into the Santo Daime church and screamed at the head of the church to, to shake me out of my trance because she kept saying I was going too far. They shook me and I came back from my body. So it sort of corroborated very interesting uh, sinks. But since then, Abraxas definitely absorbed me. And it was my moniker or my avatar in places like MySpace and other forums. It was my name when I started Coffee, Cigarettes, and Gnosis and later Aeon Byte. These are the days when people were anonymous on the Internet before Facebook kind of ruined it. 
So I kept Abraxas, but eventually I sort of uh, divorced him as a couple of people who had uh, insights told me it was not a good idea. And now I realize in a way Abraxas did more damage than good, as uh, you'll find out later on why. But I sort of uh, took a step back from Abraxas in any any form. And indeed, my life has been much better, at least from a soul breathing stance. Um, yeah, things are better. But he's still around and he still is um, an important part of magic, Gnosticism and any sort of uh, esoterica. So I like to call Abraxas an unfinished God. And this is nothing to do. This is not my term. This is a term from uh, past guest Steve D. He's a chaos magician. And he's very friendly to Gnosticism, and he has a lot of great insights on Gnosticism in his books, interviews, and his blog. <clears throat> and uh, Steve was the one who called Abraxas an unfinished god, and he's not at all alone. He said that Baphomet is an unfinished god, because you have these two deities that really have gripped the imagination of occultism and orthodoxy. Obviously, the church puts Abraxas as a demon and Baphomet, phew, forget about it. But uh, they really fascinate people. But when it comes down to it, there ain't that much on Abraxas or Baphomet. So Steve D thinks that these are gods that we are either discovering together or we are creating together, like uh you know, some of these entities, it's interactive. These gods need us to sort of give them form, energy, and even purpose, just as the gods give us form, energy, and purpose. It's an interactive universe. You could easily put Santa Muerte in that category, uh, a, an exploding goddess in our modern times. But as you guys saw in the interview last night, or even if you read uh, Dr. Chesna's book, they ain't that much. People are filling the blanks. So it's great to call. So I definitely adopted the idea that uh, gods like Abraxas, Baphomet, and Santa Muerta, these unfinished gods that we are discovering together as we go through. It should be noted, too, that uh, this is something Steve D. also mentioned, that Pete Carroll, one of the godfathers or creators of chaos magic, he said that Abraxas was the runner-up to be the patron god of chaos magic. But he lost out to Baphomet. So Baphomet is like number one, and Abraxas lost out. But it's interesting, again, these two gods are sort of uh, together, and I will show even more how they are together. So, but first, let us get to the history of Abraxas. Abraxas, uh, let me just move this here. First time we hear in history that we know of, and I'm sure he's older, is from the Gnostic sage Basilides of Alexandria. Basilides was a Christian Gnostic and mystic. Some have said that he really was history's first Christian philosopher. You don't hear any philosopher from the church or the Christian communities that early. It really is from Basilides in the second century, well before Origen, Augustine, Clement of Alexandria, and all those. And Basilides uh, was, he came with an amazing cosmology. In his cosmology, you had 365 dimensions or heavens, and we are at the bottom. Imagine trying to get up to the Pleroma. And each of these 365 heavens or dimensions are ruled by a patron deity, a ruling deity. And uh, our dimension is obviously ruled by Yahweh or the Demiurge. And uh, it should be noted, too, that Basilides was not a uh, negative Gnostic like the Sethians. In fact, uh, he was closer to the Valentinians and not even probably more positive than the Valentinius, because he would see these gods as all positive, all, everybody, everything is positive and going well. The problem, making him a Gnostic, is that here at the bottom, so far away from the Pleroma, we obviously, even gods and angels and humans, forget their source, and we need certain messengers of light, like Jesus, to sort of realign us to what the cosmos is and how we can... Uh, rise up to go back to the Pleroma and how we can break uh, the chain of reincarnation. Basilides was very much into reincarnation and had a very karma-like uh, 
idea that we come back because of our sins. So, at the top of the 365 dimensions, guess who we have? We have a Braxis or a Brass Sax. Uh, and a Brass Sax is probably more proper, but it's harder to say, so I just stick to a Braxis. But Abraxas is the first of the 365 archons of the material universe. He is just below the Aeon, Sophia, and Dynamis, and the other, you know, those two are the lowest of the Aeons. And uh, this is according to the church father Tertullian. So Abraxas basically rules all reality, all, all the material world and or whatever the other 365 dimensions are made off of its matter or something else. But he, he, he rules all of reality as we know it. The, and here we have uh, what it is role, because I did say Archon, but we have kind of diverging views on Abraxas. Uh, as you guys can see from the screen, Irenaeus, uh, Epiphanius, and St. Jerome call him the God, the highest God, the God above God, or the highest God that you could know. I guess you could say, uh, Plato would say that's the Demiurge. This is the guy. There, you can't get any higher with your with your rational mind. But Hippolytus, he has a different take. He calls him the Great Archon, who rules over three hundred and sixty-five those three hundred and sixty-five dimensions. And of course, all of this is kind of irrelevant because again, Basilides is a positive Gnostic, Demiurge, Archons, everybody in this universe is good. So there's no. There's no 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 such thing as bad except down here where maybe Yahweh and some individuals will forget about the source, but it's no big deal. So it doesn't matter. Everything is good according to Basilides. As far as the Nag Hammadi Library, Abraxas does appear in the Holy Book of the Great Invisible Spirit or the Gospel of the Egyptians. And he is uh, he's an interesting one because... According to this book, Abraxas is a, he's, you might say, an aeon, but he's more like what you call the luminaries, the spiritual lights, along with Eleleth and the lower Sophia. So Abraxas, these three and some others are basically the aeons that are allowed to affect the material world. They're at the border, they're in the trenches and the ditches, trying to wake up humanity trying to get people to wake up and uh and uh push aside the uh spell of break the spell of the demiurge and his archons remind people to uh that this is not their home these books are from the sethians so again it's a little bit edgier and more dualist but this is who abraxas is in the gospel of the egyptians along with others so these spiritual lights are sort of on the front lines while the other aeons are simply the part of the mind of the god, these are more active uh, when it comes to affecting the material world. What about the name of Braxis? <clears throat> well, again, if you want certain answers, you came to the wrong place because there are many theories. Uh, it is obvious and most agree that his name in Gematria adds up to 365. That always means totality, a solar logos. Enoch is another name that adds up to 365. So when you have that, you have this very God above God, this super God or super being like Enoch. So that would be Abraxas. Uh, some have speculated the word abracadabra comes from Abraxas. Uh, most agree that it is an Egyptian name, perhaps a compound or for abrac and sax, meaning the honorable and hallowed word, or the word is adorable. Uh, Samuel Sharp finds it in, as an in, invo Egyptian invocation to the Godhead, meaning hurt me not. Or perhaps it might come from the Hebrew abad, with meaning to create or perhaps uncreated father. But this is something that's been speculated for a long time. But just like uh, Barbalo or Yaldabaoth, we really don't know. We just have a lot of theories with nothing, nothing concrete when it comes down to it. What about the symbolism? Look at this guy. What about the symbolism of Abraxas? Now, Abraxas is depicted typically with the head of a rooster or the head of a falcon. 
this represents or symbolizes Ariel, the air powers, the heavenly powers. Um, and also the rooster in ancient times symbolized the awakening, the dawn. It's the rooster who sees the dawn first. And therefore, the vision to the real world or awakening is associated with the rooster. As for the snake legs, that is the opposite. This is the earthly powers, the chthonic world, the lunar forces, the magic. So Abraxas is both air, heaven, and also earth and moon, solar and lunar powers. The body of the human, the torso of the human, well, we humans, uh, as I like to quote, is where the, where, the, um, where the rising ape meets the fallen angel. We humans are that, that place where heaven and earth meet, and therefore Abraxas is also a place where all uh, powers and all, uh, and all spectrums meet. That's why he has the human body. Uh, if you, in those depictions of him where he's riding a chariot, Again, that's a solar motif like Apollo and others. So he is a solar god, a sort of a supreme being that is able to travel anywhere he wants. And the shield and the whip, again, is the same thing. Uh, that's a, a solar motif that you find with Apollo and other really powerful solar logos or deities. Now, let's have a little fun with some more imagery and perhaps a little conspiracy. Uh, there is obviously similarities between Abraxas and what you call the Anguipi giants of the ancient Greeks. These are giants that have uh, serpent legs or serpent bodies. The most obvious one would be the, be the Titan Typhon, who also definitely is depicted with serpent legs, as you see in the bottom left corner imagery. And Titan is, Typhon is always associated with Egyptian god Set. Uh, you also can think of the chimera, uh, a, an ancient Greek beast that often was depicted with serpent legs. Uh, where does this come from? Well, when we look even at uh, perhaps even earlier cultures, uh, we find that the Persian or, or Scythian goddesses were portrayed as having snake legs. Uh, an example would be the goddess Satana, a very powerful goddess, and as uh, Jason Reza Drajani makes the argument, might have then become Satan. But she was a very powerful goddess, and she was known as a Gorgon. There were, the Gorgons were actually very honored and high gods of the Persians. And needless to say, as we look at the right-hand side of Medusa, the Greeks went ahead and sort of demoted the Gorgons to villains or victims or just uh, nasty beasts. But the Gorgons, the, the snake, the serpentine, often serpentine legs or hair goddesses were uh, very important to the ancient Persians and the Persian Empire. And to the top left, there's an interesting motif because I'm sure you're looking at the Starbucks logos and you're seeing perhaps something in a different light. We think all this time that Starbucks had a, it was just a, a mermaid or a siren. But when you look at it, why does she have two tails? And maybe those are serpent legs. So again, if, if you want to get, you want to get into conspiracy theory, this is again, the elite powers using this ancient Persian magic like they do with Mithras to be able to influence us and also gain power, material power on this earth. So maybe Starbucks is a Gorgon and maybe we've got an Abraxas vibe right there. What is very important to Abraxas too are the many Abraxas gems. These appear in Persian, Christian, Egyptian, and Jewish magical stones. In tandem, Abraxas will appear with gods like Mithras, Yahweh, Zeus, Horus, and so forth. Uh, and these gems were, yes, indeed very magical. And there were sort of uh, two reasons why you would have these gems. One was to invoke favor from the god, but the other one was actually to have the god avoid you. In other words, this gem could give you protection from Abraxas. He would pass you over. And you see that in, for example, the Gnostic gems with um, 
with the, the Archangel Michael and Judas and the Demiurge. And these gems, you would have them so the Demiurge would just leave you the hell alone. Um, and these were very popular in magical circles in uh, late antiquity and before. It's interesting that both Carl Jung did have an Abraxas ring, and so does Dr. Stefan Heller. Both have authentic Abraxas rings. If you're interested in, the, in them, just keep in mind they are extremely expensive, and there are a lot of knockoffs out there. And it's fine if you have a knockoff. I mean, you know, charge it as you will. I used to have like a fake Abraxas amulet, but uh, Abraxas gems are just as important as um, any material or scripture or anything like that when it comes to uh, this being called Abraxas. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. On a very interesting side note, there was an article that appeared in a Greek Reporter. And this article talks about uh, there was a, a Greek immigrant named Demetrius, and he was in London in the second century. And he had a, an amulet. And guess what was happening? Why did he have an amulet? There was a pandemic in London in the second century. It was a law. This pandemic, I think, lasted for 10 years. So, But he used this... Um, he had this amulet to uh, invoke these gods that included Yao, Sabaoth, and Abraxas. And he, uh, he, he's got this amulet, and he's got the invocation, and he's basically supplicating to Abraxas for this pandemic to get the hell out of London back there. And I think that's interesting, because I was thinking, like, man, what, what happened? I mean... Forget masks and social distancing and the vax. The government should have just printed out all these Abraxas amulets and handed it out to the population. We would have already beaten COVID. And I'm sure I'd probably be in some uh, hospital with a straitjacket. But hell, I would go for the Abraxas amulet. I'm sure many of you might agree. So this is an interesting side note, and it's an interesting coincidence, but it's relevant about how these amulets worked. Um, Beyond the gems, the magic, magical papyri are very important. My favorite story where Abraxas appears is in the one called the Eighth Book of Moses. And this one talks about there's an invocation, but there's also a cosmology in it. And here uh, it says that Abraxas spoke the language of the baboons. Now to the ancient Egyptians, the baboon was uh, a symbol of wisdom and intelligence. Some say that the god Thoth was often depicted not just as a bird, but as a baboon. But what I really like about this is that how he creates the world or the cosmos. He laughs. I mean, that's the only thing I, you know, most gods, let there be light, or I will think myself, or I'm alone. This guy just, Abraxas just has a sense of humor, and he creates our world. I mean, you kind of have to have a sick sense of humor to create this cosmos. But that's what happens with Abraxas. So he laughs and he separates the primordial waters. He laughs and he creates uh, uh, the sun and the moon. And eventually he creates humanity. And of course, very interesting, humanity is called fear because that's us humans most of the time, afraid of this and that. He creates also um, the serpent python because in these ancient myths, you got to have this lunar primordial serpent being around because that's what... That's just the way the archetypes work. And uh, so you've got Yao. And also, which is very interesting, too, I think, is that uh, the text describes uh, the creation of an, of an angel called Helios. And he is subordinate to Abraxas. And that makes me wonder, because in the seven sermons of the dead, Jung decides not to call God Yahweh. You've got the, the fight between God and Satan, but he calls him Helios. And I'm pretty sure there's probably a 90% certainty that Jung probably did read the eighth book of Moses. That's why he has Helios 
in his thing in, instead of Yahweh. So and in, another interesting, uh, or I think the most interesting part of all the magical papyri that have Abraxas is this Abraxas laughing his ass off as he creates the world. So as you can see, Abraxas was predominant in antiquity, late antiquity, the Greco-Roman world, especially in magical circles. Uh, and he would continue through the Middle Ages, again, hidden in, in tomes and names and so forth. But the most striking thing Abraxas, about Abraxas is when we get to the Knights Templar. Now, this is a historical fact, and scholars like uh, Karen Rawls and others say that it is true that the Knights used a seal of Abraxas to protect their treasures. Uh, and that means that, well, if you want a connection to the Knights Templar, to something occult, this is a, a huge red flag. Why would these devout Christians be invoking Abraxas to guard their amazing treasures? And also this brings me to, on a not really a side note, but I would recommend you get Tracy Twyman's and Alex Rivera's Baphomet, The Temple, Mystery Unveiled. It's a big book, but it's excellent. And uh, it has so many good insights. But uh, Tracy and Alex do a great job of really connecting Baphomet and Abraxas. Uh, we, I'd have to spend like a, a complete presentation. Uh, I do have a link there to Tracy's interview. Uh, that you can uh, you can actually read it. It's a transcript. Uh, I will have these links also on the show notes after the presentation. But uh, Tracy makes this really good argument about Baphomet because again, people say Baphomet is a mystery, but she argues <clears throat> that the word Baphomet means baptism of meat, M-E-E-T, and meat is none other than Sophia, more or less the lower Sophia, the dark Sophia. So that the Knights Templar were worshiping Sophia, that's their big Gnostic connection, along with Abraxas. And this meat, this Sophia, was the one that was giving them many powers. And this meat, Sophia, this dark Sophia, as they talk about in the book, does appear a lot in alchemy and magician texts and in other places through history. And again, they make a great connection to Abraxas. So you got all this. So as I told you at the beginning, Baphomet and Abraxas are definitely buddies. They probably hang out at bars and go to football games together. But it's an interesting connection. But And again, Abraxas does appear in many places throughout history. And it seems Gnosticism as well. For better or worse. Um, all right, let me take a quick sip as we get into Jung. So the other relevant place, as I told you, was Carl Jung and his seven sermons to the dead. Now, this was written uh, probably around right after his big divorce with Freud during the darkness of World War One, which in, and both of these events certainly uh, challenged Jung's psyche and his sanity. And this is when Jung decided he was going to go on an inward journey. He was going to detach from the material world and go find his soul, basically to prove to the world that we all have a soul. And during this time, he recorded his revelations and visions, and all of his techniques came from it. But it came in, you might say, in three parts. One was the seven sermons to the dead. The other one was the black book, which was all sort of the messy notes. And then later on was the red book, which was him sort of putting a truncated version of the black books and trying to put, you know, this is the, this is the, this is it. This is how you find your soul. This is the new language of the mystic. And this is how the world will go for those of us who are searching. And uh, uh, it should be mentioned too. So Seven Sermons of the Be Dead was the only uh, of these three works that was published back there, back in the early 20th century. Uh, 2009, the Red Book was published, even though it's later than the Black Books. And then last year, October 2020, the Black Books were finally published. <clears throat> and uh, 
Uh, it should be noted too that when he published this book, he got into some hot water. Uh, basically, the um, the famous Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, whose book "The Eclipse of God" is simply wonderful, uh, raised up a stink, saying that Jung was being anti-Semitic for putting out the Seven Sermons to the Dead. Unfortunately, these was the days when a lot of the smart intelligentsia or the educated people thought that the Gnostics were basically anti-Semites. And we know that's not true in our modern times. So basically, Jung almost got canceled early in the 20th century. So he had to back up. He had to apologize and sort of put the seven sermons to the dead in one side and say, oh, it was just a, a youthful indiscretion. He had to backpedal a lot. But uh, this is an interesting information, all that. And the book is, uh, as you can see there, is uh, Jung said that it was channeled by Basilides, the, uh, again, as you saw, the, the second century Gnostic sage. And we wonder, was this just active imagination or did Jung really uh, channel the spirit of Basilides? We have documented that supernatural events did happen in the Jung household and his house when he was going this when he was doing this inward journey so interesting to speculate and uh, the plot of this is very simple you have the dead come from jerusalem now um, i don't think the dead were zombies or ghosts maybe they were i think what he's saying is the dead is people who are asleep and the dead seek answers so they show up at the walls of Alexandria and they scream. And Basilides basically goes to the wall and says, you've been fooled. Here is the truth of reality. Here is the real cosmology. Here's what's happening. And Basilides gives them this Gnostic treatise on what's going on. And you say the, the dead from Jerusalem are really furious because they believe them, but they're also crushed by reality. So who is Abraxas? Well, Jung gives us a, certainly a more detailed uh, narrative of Abraxas, and I'll go ahead and read from Sermon 2. I certainly advise you to, to uh, definitely read it. Uh, it is haunting. It is powerful. But he, uh, Jung writes, This is a God whom ye knew not, for mankind forgot it. We name it by its name Abraxas. It is more indefinite still than God and devil. That God may be distinguished from it, we name God Helios, or Son. Abraxas' effect, nothing standeth opposed to it, but the ineffective. Hence its effective nature freely unfoldeth itself. The ineffective is not, therefore resisteth not. Abraxas standeth above the Son and above the devil. It is improbable probability, unreal reality. Had the pleroma in essence, Abraxas would be its manifestation. It is the effect of itself, not any particular effect, but effect in general. It is unreal reality, because it hath no definite effect. It is also creatura, because it is distinct from the pleroma. The sun hath a definite effect, and so hath the devil. Wherefore do they appear to us more effective than indefinite Abraxas? It is force, duration, change. Hard to know is the deity of Abraxas. Its power is the greatest because man perceiveth not. From the sun he draweth the summum bonum, from the devil the infinum malum. But from Abraxas' life, altogether indefinite, the mother of good and evil. Smaller and weaker life seemeth to be than summum bonum. Wherefore, it is also hard to conceive that Abraxas transcendeth even the sun in power, who is himself the radiant source of all the force of life. Abraxas is the sun, and at the same time, the eternally sucking gorge of the void, the belittling and dismembering devil. The power of Abraxas is twofold, but you see it not, because for your eyes the warring opposites of this power are extinguished. What the godson speaketh is life, what the devil speaketh is death. But Abraxas speaketh that hallowed and accursed word which life and death at the same time. Abraxas begetteth truth and lying, good and evil, light and darkness, in the same word and in the same act. 
Wherefore is Abraxas terrible? And woo, powerful stuff. And it does seem that he's talking about how Abraxas is really individuation. What did Jung talk about? The individuation is when all our opposites and our fragments come together and we are a unified being. But for some reason, Abraxas is still terrible. What's up with that? And I wonder, did Jung have a lisp or was he trying to be Shakespeare? What's all this standard stuff? I don't know. Uh, I guess he was, maybe Martin Buber should have castigated him for trying to be all hoity-toity. But um, a great book and an interview with Stuart Douglas. And I do have, again, a link where I put a lot of his ideas from his book, The Apocalypse of the Reluctant Gnostics. A great book when it comes to Carl Jung and Philip K. Dick and their Gnosticism. But in one part, he writes, created about Abraxas, created as much as creator, Abraxas is distinct from the Pleroma, yet cannot be wholly identified with the world either. Like the Archons, Abraxas exists in the liminal space between the Pleroma and creation. Abraxas is the Demiurge. And again, both Basilides and Jung would say that there is nothing bad about the demiurge, and as we've seen, Jung would say, there is nothing wrong with the ego until it gets disconnected with its source, and same with the demiurge. So here, uh, Stuart seems to be talking that Abraxas is individuation. But then came the Red Book, and Jung there on side notes, uh, puts on the side notes of the Red Book, or that were included in the Red Book, he does again bring up Abraxas, as much as Philemon and Jung's adventure in the underworld. And here's one part, and he says, uh, fear Abraxas who rules over the human world, accept what he forces upon you. Since he is the master of the of the life of this world, and none can escape him. So some of the notes you find in the Red Book kind of show Abraxas is not exactly individuation, but he's still terrible. So what is going on? Who's this cat? Well, we do find out more when the Black Books came out. Again, they came out, they were published in October 2020. And they give an even darker view of Abraxas, at least from Jung's perspective, or at least Jung's interpretation of Basilides, or maybe Basilides was really speaking through Jung. But uh, the Black Books definitely have a, more on Abraxas, and let's find out it's not very positive. <clears throat> As Jung writes in the Black Book, you should worship only one god. The other gods are unimportant. Abraxas is to be feared. Therefore, it was a deliverance when he separated himself from me. You do not need to seek him. I did. He will find you just like arrows. He is the god of the cosmos, extremely powerful and fearful. He is a creative drive. He is form and formation, just as much as matter and force. Therefore, he is above all the light and dark gods. He tears away souls and casts them into procreation. He is the creative and created. He is the God who always renews himself in days and months and years in human life and ages and peoples and the living and heavenly bodies. He compels. He is unsparing. If you worship him, you increase his power over you. Hear that sound, Tripoli? Thereby it becomes unbearable. You will have dreadful trouble getting clear of him. So remember him. Do not worship him. But also do not imagine that you can flee him since he is all around you. You must be in the middle of life, surrounded by death on all sides. Stretched out like one crucified, you hang in him, the fearful, the overpowering. So definitely a different view of Abraxas and the God he's talking about. Uh, Jung in the Black Books whips out Phanes. That's the god we should be looking for. Phanes is the god of the cult of Orpheus, often associated with the god Aeon or, surprise, Mithras, but just by him being the god of the cult of Orpheus, that already makes him Gnostic because, as we've talked in this show, the cult of Orpheus could easily be a huge influence on classic Gnosticism. But going back to Abraxas, well... 
So who is Abraxas? I mean, there's a lot going on. He's not in individuation, but he rules this universe. So who is Abraxas? And again, this hit me about a month ago. So I am going to reveal right now, Abraxas is karma. That's who Abraxas is. Now hear me out if you don't, uh, if you're scratching your head. What is karma? Karma is action. Karma is the binding force of this universe. It's that cause and effect. Karma is what keeps everything, uh, like, keeps everything together. Now, here, if we look, if we start, if we go back and we start looking at some of Jung's passages, it makes more, it makes more sense. Um, yes, Abraxas is a karma chameleon, I've decided. So, now, just listen to some of the example. You must be in the middle of life, surrounded by death on all sides. Stretch out like one crucified. You hang in him the fearful, the overpowering from the Blackfoot. Again, karma is something that if you want to escape this universe, you have to get rid of. You have to hide from the good and bad karma. Those of us who want to stay in this universe, then we will have Abraxas slash karma. He will find us. He will rule us. He will give us power, but we're still in this universe. And uh, he also associates it with arrows, as the as Juan Culliano and the Renaissance magician said, arrows is the binding force of the universe. Arrows is what makes the atoms come together, the galactic gases, the the cow and the bull mate, you falling in love with, I don't know, Raquel Welsh. It's what keeps this universe together. So Eros is kind of like karma. Abraxas is Eros. And uh, he's not positive for those of us who want to transcend this. And if you look at the seven sermons of the dead, it kind of makes sense. Look what he says. Potential, change, effect, force. These is really what you can call karma, if you would, or Eros. This is what the universe. Abraxas stands above all the gods, right? Well, karma stands above all the gods. Even the gods are trapped in karma. Everybody's trapped in karma except for the Buddha. Through the Gnostics, it would be no, the Gnostics would be ones who are free from Abraxas or any gods. You're free of everything except the aeons themselves. And uh, what are some of the other clues? Um, you must not worship, but remember, he is all around. You cannot flee him. That sounds like karma or arrows. Um, yeah, karma is necessary for reality to stay together. But again, not for us who want to get out of the wheel. We have to be in the liminal places. We have to be crucified. And we have to be in a place where Abraxas, karma, or arrows cannot find us. So that's what I see Abraxas. That's my reveal, at least for now. Again, it's not like I will continue down this path and others smarter than me might agree uh, out there. I haven't made this public, but it's an interesting idea for where we are today. Now here, Stuart Douglas also give us on another part of his book, he kind of gives us, he kind of supports this. And I'll read, given that he is two nature in one, both God and devil, Abraxas is to not to be feared or loved, yet both feared and loved. Yet he is neither to be sought after nor rejected, since like the archon's veil of deception, Abraxas surrounds us on all sides and will seek us out. We must walk the middle path between the opposites, being neither too attached nor averse to either pole. That's what you do with karma, right? You get rid of, you get rid of karma. Both and rather than either or and that's interesting because this book came out in 2018 way before the black book so even Stewart is kind of feeling his way but his book has a lot of speculations but i think it's interesting how this sort of supports abraxas as karma or eros uh but again we can tweak this idea or i will tweak this idea as it go maybe abraxas is only eros and I am completely dropping the ball on the idea of Eastern karma. But in the West, even in the times of Yun or um, or the Gnostics, karma would be, well, like a goddess nemesis, arrows, or some of these other uh, beings that even Zeus and all the other gods answer to or have no power, more powerful than these gods. Uh, 
uh, Mithras would be one. I guess you can make a case for Mithras, right? Mithras stands above uh, Ahriman and Ahura Mazda. He's the one that keeps both of them from destroying the universe and keeps them. He kind of is always playing. He's kind of the Henry Kissinger of the gods, making sure the gods don't destroy the universe with their eternal fighting. So that's Abraxas. So why don't we get into a little, something perhaps a little lighter, and that is Abraxas in popular culture. And he appears a lot. To the left, we've got Abraxas does make the Marvel Universe, and he is a being who represents the principle of destruction of the universe. So he's kind of a, a Kali guy and uh, an enemy of many of the Marvel characters. As many of you recognize, in the middle, we've got Santana's Abraxas. Now, it should be said that uh, Santana was inspired by Herman Hesse's book, Damien. Abraxas makes a big appearance in uh, Damien, and it seems that Herman Hesse is talking about Abraxas as a principle of individuation. But he's not really, as I will show you very soon. But that's where Santana got the idea for calling his album Abraxas. To the right is a really shitty movie with Jesse Ventura called Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe. Yeah, please don't watch it. It really is that bad. And there's nothing Gnostic about it. It's just a cool name that he wanted. Um, where else does he appear? I'm sure many of you seen in Jupiter Ascending, a really disappointing movie by the Wachowskis, Gnostic, but just not very well executed. One of the families is called the House of Abraxas. Surprise, what a shock. Um, uh, in the middle, we've got the beast himself, Aleister Crowley. In the Gnostic Mass, there is an invocation to Abraxas. Uh, to the right, we've got Braxis from uh, the Midnight Gospel for Duncan Trussell. Braxis is an avatar or figure that appears, and this was just very recently, too. Abraxas makes his appearance in Thomas More's 1915-16 novel, Utopia. There is an island in Utopia named Abraxa, and that's probably named after Abraxas. Abraxas appears in Salman Rushdie's novel, Midnight Children, and uh, there are references to Abraxas and Abracadabra. Abraxas appears as a demon in Charm Season 2. Yes, I admit, I used to watch Charmed. I really liked it. Um, he appears as a demon in Supernatural Season 14. In J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, Abraxas is the name of Lucius Malfoy's father, as well as the name of, the, uh, as the name of a race of winged horses in the same fictional world. So Abraxas appears, and that's just a few examples. He appears in video games, uh, occult tones, names of uh, wizards and you know, hidden magicians in the 19th century. He's all around, isn't he? Uh, but I think probably the most interesting appearance of Abraxas is Charles Manson. Yes. What the hell does Charles Manson have to do with Abraxas? Well, needless to say, or maybe surprising you, Charles Manson himself in a 1986 parole letter admits that Abraxas is his god, is his patron god. And what's even more interesting is that, as you, many of you know, Charles Manson kind of was embedded with the Beach Boys. And he used to freak out Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys because he would go around saying that he is both God and Satan. Hmm. So you could say in the 60s, uh, Charles Manson was already tapping into some sort of energy from Abraxas. Uh, and it's also just as interesting as Brian Wilson, the brother of Dennis Wilson. Brian Wilson, probably perhaps the greatest producer and songwriter in all of history, at least one of the top five. He was obsessed with Herman Hesse. He would reread Damien over and over again in the late 60s. So I don't have that much um, evidence, but I'm starting to wonder if all that darkness, because obviously once you get the Beach Boys, Charles Manson, you get the Cielo Drive murders, you get all this weirdness happening. I'm starting to wonder if these guys tapped into the ancient force of Abraxas and somehow, well, look what happened to their lives. I mean, uh, 
Obviously, Brian Wilson went crazy, or he was always crazy. Dennis Wilson's life was bad. And, of course, Charles Manson left. Well, he got his poundish of flesh on society. Although I think he's, I still think he's a fall guy. I don't think he's a real killer. But he was definitely an occultist who was into some MK Ultra magical stuff. But I think it's very interesting uh, about uh, Charles Manson and Abraxas. And there are many other examples. I won't go into them, but here's the one I want to go, which we talked about before. My friend and the great podcaster of <laughs> Sam Tripoli of Tinfoil Hat has become obsessed with Abraxas. And that's a recent cartoon he did. And <laughs> I just have to laugh, but he I went on his show about a year ago, talked about Abraxas, and he's been off to the races. And I do hope he's careful because these powers... Uh, when we've seen from the Knights Templar and Charles Manson and other individuals across history and Carl Jung can bring about results, but there's always a price to pay. So be careful, Sam Tripoli. And next time on your podcast, I will even give you even more warnings and see how your life is. So that is my presentation on Abraxas. And do we have any questions? At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.